welcome to the Marathon Medic podcast. I'm your host, Amy Bolsh, a doctor and running coach with an interest in sports and exercise medicine. These podcast episodes are all about physical activity, exercise and health, and today I'm joined by Damien Hall. Damien is one of the UK's top ultra-endurance athletes and has completed numerous FKTs and challenges, including the 268-mile Pennine Way in a record-breaking time of 61 hours, 34 minutes. Damien is also a running coach and author of multiple books, including In It for the Long Run, which details his running journey and many adventures, including his Pennine Way record attempt. Damien is also a passionate environmental activist and co-founded The Green Runners, a running community that focuses on making the planet a better and greener place. On this episode, we're discussing Damien's passion for running and how we can all be more sustainable as athletes. So hi, Damien. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, Hopefully everyone listening knows a little bit about you, but for those who don't, would you mind just introducing yourself? Oh, uh, hello. Thanks for having me on. Um, Oh, I hate hate, hate having to introduce introduce myself. Um, I'm a 46-year-old father of two uh, with a midlife a midlife crisis running problem that that uh, hasn't gone away after 10 years. <laughs> That's not a bad problem to have, I don't think. <laughs> no, I suppose not. There's definitely worse problems. <laughs> um, and your your running story is, is really quite interesting because, as you said, you got into it in midlife. And f- as far as I'm aware, you went from first marathon to GB trail runner within four years. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I got quite carried away. Um so I did, I did, I, I, for a lot of my sort of teenage and adult life, I preferred kind of, well, football and trekking, like long distance walking, sort of multi-day walks. Um, now I can see that that sort of ultra distance running on trails is kind of a combination of the two now, but I just didn't for a long time, you know, I didn't grow up in like fell running country or, you know, I just didn't know that people ran on the hills, you know, um, and I wasn't, I suppose the idea of running also was a little bit boring without a football at my feet. But um, I was very lucky, got to sort of travel the world a bit and sort of fell in love with, I suppose, lumpier places around the world. Um, I moved back to Bath in, or back to the Cotswolds to Bath in um, 2010. And yes, signed up for the 2011 Bath Half Marathon, which I can see now is like a life changing life-changing moment for me I just loved I loved the training I loved the sort of pushing yourself when it when your body's telling you to stop and and that sort of thing and was doing yeah my first marathon the next year uh dressed as a toilet um and yeah I got so carried away really that that when I discovered people just ran and ran and ran for 100 miles or ran for further um just that idea had such a grip on my on my imagination um that I just got really carried away and yeah four years later I was in the GB trail running team, which at the age of 40, I think. So was it 40? Yeah, 40, which also is, yeah, reasonably crazy that, you, you know, I'd given up on any, any ideas of sort of elite sportsmanship at about sort of 2021. Um, well, I, yeah, and that was never realistic for me in football anyway, but um, yeah, it's been an incredible journey. I feel very grateful for sort of what running has given me. When did you realise that you were good? Because I think a lot of people have a similar story to you and that they, do their first race and they really do get the bug and lots of us have that running bug but obviously not all of us get into team gb so when did you realize you're actually not only obsessed with this but also really good at it <laughs> um i think it was kind of an incremental thing so, but i do remember my very first ultra marathon was also yeah 2012 and i was i remember it you know being painful and and, and hard to keep running when you don't really want to and 
Um, but I think I was in either the top quarter or the top third. So I, I had this sort of competitiveness I wanted to do as well as I could. I, it felt like something that would suit me. I've always been fascinated in endurance stories. Like I, I you know, I got a bit obsessed with sort of um, Captain Robert Falcon Scott of, you know, famous for his Antarctic trips um, over 100 years ago. I've always been you know, really interested in, in long distance things, I suppose. So when I realised you could just run and run, um, I don't know, just love everything about it. I love the fact you can just stuff your face as well and just eat and eat and eat. Um, and I do remember coming to my first ever A station and it was just it's just like a children's birthday party. Uh, but all the kids have gone off somewhere and a few less balloons, I suppose. And you can just, you know, tuck right in and, sh- you know, stuff your face, stuff your cake hole. Uh, uh, and the people who eat the most tend to have the best races as well. Um, so, yeah, that first race, yeah, I, I wasn't tr- troubling the podium or anything, but I'd hardly trained, really. Um, but the next year I did my first 100K and first 100 miler. And in both of those, I think I was in the top 10 in the top 100 in the t- 100K and the and I was third in the 100 miler. Now, they're not especially competitive races, but it just puts the idea in your head, I think, like, you know, that, OK, well, I'm, you know, they're only in the 100 mile, I say, I don't know, there are only 80 people started or something. But but you're like, OK, well, you know, so, something about it suits me, I suppose. And it was just quite incremental. And after that, yeah, I did the spine race and sort of the dragon's back race. And I was yeah, I was in the top, you know, I was towards the front. Um, I've actually won very few races, but I'm I, I tend to finish fourth or fifth quite a lot. Um but yeah, so I just love it, I think. And there's probably a little bit of genetic sort of uh, advantage passed down by my parents, but it's not great. Like my marathon PB isn't very special at all, you know, compared to some of the runners I, I'm racing against, actually. Um, so, yeah, most of it's hard work. But above that, I think just just lo- just loving it, you know. And obviously on these really long events, hopefully you love most of it, but there's those really dark periods that you go through and your book describes some of those in, in quite a lot of detail. But have you ever got to a point where, you, where you're thinking, I, I could actually die doing this or, you know, my health is at risk or I, I actually really do need to stop? Have you experienced those really dark and, and dangerous moments? Good question. Uh, well, I mean, if you'd asked me a year ago, like I'd never stopped you know, I think I went nine years before my I first sort of DNF'd, first didn't complete a race, and then and then I have done that a few times recently, uh, and there could be there could be various reasons for that, um, but none of them, I don't think any of them were like this is dangerous or this is, um, but yeah, weird things have happened, like you know, very dark brown urine and things which I didn't really treat as seriously as it should, you know, it, that can be very serious, and actually something that happened to me since you've asked, this is a bit of a long story, but um, uh, was this last year? Yeah, 21, May 2021, I was trying to break the record for the Coast to Coast, Wainwright's Coast to Coast Trail, which is about, I, th- I think, 185 miles. And to give you a slightly shorter version, I, I was getting, um, I started behaving very strangely, um, questioning the people who were with me and being quite suspicious of them and and, and falling over a lot and the crew who were with me had, were very used to me and, and have crewed me before and they were quite concerned because they thought, well, he's done longer than this before and he's acting very strangely. And at one point I said to them about the runners who are with me, who are these people and where are they taking me? Um, and you, you'd like to think I'd know roughly where I was going when, when I've been obsessing over a challenge for sort of three or six months. Um, and then, yeah, I developed a, a, a quite comical sort of sideways lean um, towards the end. And it looks really funny in pictures. Um, and I do chuckle about it. But actually, that is kind of um, most likely um, hyponatremia, which, which can be fatal. So I sort of nearly killed myself. 
uh, and I, I do feel a responsibility now to to sort of speak up about that. And it, it is to do with hydration and kind of overhydrating, um, or at least getting the the balance wrong between your salts and the liquid. Um, we can't be a hundred percent whether it's simply the amount of liquid or the. Um, I did take from that. It's a long story, but yeah, I, I, I started putting less electrolytes in as well um, because I had a slight tummy issue. So it was either one of those subject actions or both of them put together. Um, but yeah, it, so that could have been quite serious. And luckily I did have a doctor in my crew, but she says now like she probably should have stopped me kind of thing and take me straight to hospital. <laughs> so, so yeah, these things can get a bit, but, but I mean, that was chasing a record. Like it doesn't need to be that dangerous. You know, I was trying to break a record that had stood for, I think, 30 years. So it was quite a good record and you had to push myself quite hard. Um, and, you know, I looked pretty silly by the end. So most people had a good laugh, I hope. Yeah, it sounds quite scary. <laughs> well, at the time, I, it was a lot like being drunk. At the time, I wasn't that concerned. I think my crew, it was scary for my crew. It was only really afterwards over the next few days where we sort of pieced things together. But yeah, this stuff can be a bit, yeah. There's not loads of science at this end of things, if I'm honest. And 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 yeah, we we do push ourselves. Um, but I think the rewards the rewards seem to be seem to be worth it. And you have to tell us about the the record and whether you did manage to complete that. Oh yes, I did. But um, yeah, I had about a two hour. Uh, I was about two hours ahead of the record for most of the time. And then I just slowed so dramatically. I was quite confused about what I was doing. I seemed to have no power, no real, no real interest in the record. And I only broke it, broke it by 18 minutes in the end. So I was slowing right down. And a couple of close friends were really being quite stern with me saying, you know, I, afterwards I accused one of them being like sinister. They were being that sort of dude, you know, you've got to get on, you know, you've got to get on and do this. Um, <laughs> so yes it did turn out successfully but very almost not in several ways and your longest ever run am i correct in thinking that's the pennine way 268 miles um no actually um i once ran is it not sorry <laughs> i should know this <laughs> <laughs> no um i once ran the southwest coast path uh which is 630 miles um obviously i did stop to sleep that was almost 11 days. And obviously I did stop to sleep, um, I think every night, but often only three hours, which isn't, it's probably why I'm a bit stupid now. Like that isn't good for you. Uh, uh, it's not good. Yeah. Apparently missing one night's sleep is like a mild concussion. Um, uh, although I did have some sleep every night, it wasn't much. So yeah, that's probably why I'm a bit stupid now. How do you recover after these events? Because obviously there's, there's that competitive drive that pushes you through the the, the the 11 days that you're running for example but afterwards we're always told so much about good nutrition good sleep that's how our body recovers you must be absolutely broken by the end of these things no you really are <laughs> you really are and I'm I'm 46 now and I do I do feel it a bit more than I used to um the one I think where I really felt it was I broke the Penang Way record in 2020 I really felt it after that because you, you know, you desperately need sleep. So, so that was, yeah, sort of two and a half day thing, 260 miles. And I did sleep. I did have three power naps on that, but yeah, I mean, I had all these muscular, I suppose, muscular and tendon minor issues that were keeping me awake. And then I was getting night sweats and yeah, you desperately need sleep. And yet your body is, is kind of in shock a bit. Um, and so you often don't sleep that well, or, or you've messed up. It's sort of, what's it called? The circadian rhythm so much that you wake up in the middle of the night um and yeah it, it can it, i was quite messed up and, and actually quite 
you know, your hormones are all over the place as well. Um, you know, emotionally, I was struggling with all sorts of th- things that seem really trivial now, but like, I just felt this like almost overpowering sense of gratitude to all the people who had helped me. But but that was mixed with kind of guilt. And I, I kind of, I felt almost paralyzed at saying, at saying thank you to them all. Like, I didn't know how to thank them. How could I thank the people who had helped me? Um, and I struggled to even like type a message to them to say, thank you all so much, you know, like, which is just such an easy thing to say. But I, I yeah, all these, all these emotions. And um, so, yeah, th- th- there are some studies on recovery. Well, a little bit, but there's a good book called um, Good to Go, I think. And it, it does say sleep is the number one thing. And I mean, hopefully we all sleep in a 24 hour cycle anyway. But yeah, I think you've just got to take the time to get the sleep back in. And, and also, like you say, not neglect the calories because you'll be in a massive deficit after that. And if you don't get that back, um on track yeah you could you could get into some some serious sort of um energy i was going to say energy issues but yeah reds is 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 becoming increased increasing increased awareness about reds relative energy deficiency in sport um which is kind of under fueling effectively um and we're just seeing more and more that our nutrition is is crucial um but i would say primarily it's probably is those two things but i I wouldn't to, to anyone listening who does this sort of thing I think, yeah, there's like an emotional recovery spell as well. You know, you've got to, you know, it's not smart to have another race in two weeks or four weeks. Even if your body feels good, you, you need you need to mentally, emotionally sort of recover from these things a bit as well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think from the the side of things where you're depleted in energy and how that's going to affect your brain, but also you're really accessing your mental strength throughout the event as well. You're clearly very determined and you mentioned being a little bit competitive as well. So how does that play into the races where you do DNF? You mentioned that you've not finished a few events more recently. What kind of thought process are going on to make you decide that you're actually going to pull out from a race or, or a FKT or whatever it is you're doing? Yeah, I've had an interesting, an interesting year where I've, I've stopped three times. Um, and I do think they were all different. But at the same time, I, I, I guess I wonder if I hadn't stopped the first time, whether I would have stopped the other times. Um, one of them was was in the spine race. It was very definitely a, a physical problem. The whole race was going brilliantly for me. I was four hours ahead of everyone else. The weather was fantastic. This is in a race in January. Um, so like it couldn't have been going better for me. There was no reason to men- like mentally I was desperate to carry on. But yeah, I had a, um, a groin issue. Not not for the first time in my life. My, my groin let me down. Um, so that 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 felt a bit different it, you know it was, there was there was pain and i was worried about what would happen the the third the more recent one was uh, going for the pen away record again to be honest i always planned to stop if i wasn't going to get the record um i've run the pen away quite a few times now i didn't need to with about 40 miles was it 40 i don't know 40 or 50 miles to go it looked very likely i wouldn't break the record so to me it wasn't worth running for another 10 12 hours just to finish something i'd finished lots of times uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm happy with that decision. The weirder one was actually my first one, um, which was almost exactly a year ago at UTMB, which is a race I'd done four times before. And I, yeah, I'd never quit before. And I just had this overwhelming sense of don't want to go on, just don't want to. <laughs> um, and I can see now having analysed it, analysed sort of my nutrition intake and stuff that, yeah, I was I was quite badly under fueled at that point. And of course, you're under fueling your mind your mind takes about 20% of the calories. Um, and of course, if you're not, yeah, you, you make less less good decisions. Yeah, apparently the chimp, you know, sort of takes over and, and makes more emotional decisions for you. Um, and and it doesn't want you to do things that, that are going to sort of, um, ah, what's the phrase the sports psychologist said to me? Um, 
I forget exactly, but like that would threat your identity, be a threat to your identity or question your identity. Um, although I don't know if that quite stacks up because obviously DNFing when I'd, I'd never DNF before felt like a big, you know, a big a, a change there. But but your chimp will sort of try and talk you out of things. Um, and of course, if yeah, if you're underfueled, then it will take, you know, have, have may have dominance. So it started there, really. It was an underfueling thing. But I was still surprised how easy it was to go, actually. But I, I think part of that was all three of these DNFs I've just mentioned um, are either on UTMB or the Penang Way, both of which I've run uh, five or six times each. And I think there is an aspect of the more times you do something, you know, the harder it is to, well, the, the idea of success just shrinks and shrinks. So it is, yeah, I think it's more and more likely that you're, well, not going to get that success. Um, so I guess each time I was aiming for something more elusive, more more out of reach. Um, and they, yeah, and there you go. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I've summarised that well or not, but it's intriguing. It's intriguing. But I was quite proud of having not DNF'd. It was nine years. And I think I think I counted 49 ultramarathons or, or challenges. Um, so I was quite proud of that. Um, so it was quite a blow to sort of accept that, I, you know, I, I do quit sometimes. But actually, in the long term, that might be healthier in that, you know, not necessarily bashing yourself up for another 50 miles or 10 hours when you know you can if you want to, I suppose. And, and that, But that points again to the brain being the important thing where, um, yeah, if the brain is willing, then usually the body can, can follow along. I think it's so true. We kind of idolise those that don't DNF. But actually, sometimes the hardest decision and the best decision is to DNF. Um, and, and doing that is, is tough. But yeah, sometimes it's sensible, isn't it? Does the fact that people are interested in your running, they obviously follow you, you're, you're well known amongst the ultra running community. Does that play into it at all? Do you feel some kind of pressure or like you owe it to people to complete these challenges that you do? Oh, what a good question. I don't think I've had that before. I've definitely been in races earlier on or, or challenges and I think, oh, I'm really, I'm really tired and fed up and it hurts. And can I just sneak off, you know, no one's watching, are they? Oh, actually, bugger, yeah, they could be. And you remember that at least hopefully your mum is watching. You know, hopefully it's a bit more than that. But actually, that's been a quite helpful to me, I think, in lots of lots of times. And actually, some of these some of these challenges have been kind of filmed and turned into films, especially with my friends at uh, Summit Fever Media, um, Matt and Ellie, who have filmed me a few times. But actually, every time they've come to film me, I, things have gone really well. Um, they were filming, yeah, my best run on the Pen Away, my best run at UTMB. So I actually think usually that pressure, I find that useful. I mean, I tell myself, rightly or wrongly, that, that hopefully most of those people want me to do well and they're, you know, willing me on. Um, that might be <laughs> that might be naive, but I think that can help. I, I actually think it works the other way for me usually, usually. That, that's, a, that's a good thing, isn't it? Definitely. I know some people get very overwhelmed with it, but I think it can also be very motivating to have that support. Yeah. I think so. And and also, I mean, I think we can sometimes, um, what's the word, uh, almost overstate our importance sometimes. Like, I don't know if people, you know, a week later, most people have moved on. Like, I mean, Hard Rock was last week. Wow, that was exciting. But we're already talking about the next race. You know, people, were, I remember before I got into the top 10 at UTMB, I was listening to podcasts and people were crediting me with being in the top 10. They didn't know I hadn't been in the top 10. So, so people, you know, people don't remember as much about you as you remember about you, if you know what I mean. Hopefully I'm making some kind of sense. But um, yeah, I don't know if people care all that much, you know, um, you know, they're, they're there to cheer maybe. Um, and we shouldn't be, yeah, we shouldn't be too obsessed with, well, and that the whole idea of this sport is that it's hard. So sometimes it doesn't go well and that's all right. 
Exactly. And you tend to do a lot of um, DIY challenges or FKTs, which are fastest known times. I know obviously you do more official events like the UTMB as well. What do you feel the, the pros and cons of doing the FKT challenges are over an official race? Oh, I've, yeah, in the last few years, I mean, partly because of lockdown, but I was already planning that first 2020, that first kind of um, COVID pandemic year. Um, I'd already planned to do a sort of January FKT, which is on the uh, the Paddy Buckley round. Um, yeah, I just love them. I, I think it's you can put you can essentially you can personalize them a lot more. So, you know, you decide what it is, I suppose. But then you can decide, what, you know, when exactly to go um obviously a race happens at a certain date you've got to do it at that time so you can fit it in exactly when you want you could change it for the weather then there are the three different styles which is kind of um uh, self-supported unsupported or supported and each of those has an advantage and a disadvantage uh, and just adds another element of you know do you want to run it with your mates basically or do you want to do it totally on your own um which can be very rewarding but obviously you won't be quite as competitive doing that you know is there going to be a road crew you know again that's going to really help because they can stuff your help stuff your cake hole. But um, I suppose you could say that that's going to add add to the transport emissions probably of, of your of your quest. Um, so there are all these factors you can you know and you can even create your own challenge. You know, so it's, it's brilliant and and you know that could be that could be cheaper. Um, you just do it on your own terms. Um, so uh, yeah, I absolutely love it really. Um, and, and and yeah, it, I think it's more egalitarian as well because you don't necessarily. Yeah, there are the big challenges where people are trying to break the records. But like I say, you can go and sort of create your own one around your around your grandma's garden or something if you want. Um, or, you know, we'll be a bit more adventurous than that. But, you know, it means everyone can go and set a record if they want to. So it, I think it's brilliant. What's been your most memorable challenge? Answering your questions. Um, let's see. Probably. Um, oh, what a good question. I mean, in terms of sort of competitiveness and and small moments of history it, it was the Pennine way run in in 2020 which which has since been beaten by that that rascal the 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 tea dodging rascal uh john kelly um but at the moment that felt you know that felt like a big thing that was really exciting but one one i remember yeah i mean two other two other spring to mind actually one that was incredibly rewarding was yeah the, the solo winter sort of paddy buckley round sort of totally on my own you know, really challenging conditions, only breaking the record by, I forget, 11 minutes or something. So something of a sprint finish, although you'd hardly call it that if you're watching. That is just an incredible day out on my own in, in the mountains, um, you know, in, in the snow. Um, you know, it had everything, really. Um, and the other one actually was wonderful. I, I ran with my good friend Beth Pascal. We ran the Cape Wrath Trail in late 2018, which is like northwest Scotland. So back, basically as remote as it can get in 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 Britain without, I suppose, going to going out to the islands. And that was, a, you know, just amazing winter adventure. But, you know, three or four days of suffering, <laughs> to be honest. Um, well, I think we're both quite competitive and, and sort of egging each other on, on a bit. We could have had a more comfortable trip and still broken the record quite comfortably. But yeah, very happy memories about that, about that one. But I think it was partly the remoteness of it and hardly seeing anyone, hardly even seeing a village. That was, that was really special as well. So yeah, hopefully that gives an indication that, yeah, different elements can, you know, the Pennine Way one wasn't, very remote wasn't away from people i had lots of people around me but still was special for very different reasons so that probably alludes to why these solo challenges can be sorry yeah solo challenges but they could be with other people why they're so sort of rewarding i think i actually spoke with beth last week for my podcast and i asked her a similar question but she didn't she didn't say that that run (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. Outrageous. Well, it obviously meant more to me than it did to her. How upsetting. <laughs> um, and I also just wanted to ask you about your, your run coaching because you're also a running coach. And I was just wondering what led you to pursue that and also how that's impacted your, your own running because you obviously gained so much knowledge from coaching other runners and also going through kind of the learning about being a coach. So has that affected what you do in terms of training? Yeah, great question. It, it happened almost by almost by accident. I wasn't setting myself up that way. Um, I, I, so I did UTB like four years in a row and I, and I improved each time and I was often the sort of first first male British male finisher I suppose so I was getting it was mostly people who wanted to do UTMB were getting in touch and saying well how do you train and I at first I was saying well I'm not a coach how about you how about this coach how about this coach but one or two of them said no 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 we want to know what you know um and I was like okay look if you know if you just take it on board I've never coached anyone we can we can try and do something and and yeah grateful to those those couple of people at the beginning that were you know really keen to be coached by me even though I wasn't a coach um and I guess I have had five coaches that makes it sound like I fall out with people a lot but I, that's not true but um often they were just short-term arrangements so I, I guess I had that knowledge from from working with other coaches um and then I did the UK athletics coaching and running fitness qualification which is useful but it's really it's more about track track athletes um but obviously some of the same sort of ideas and systems apply and then I just found yeah the better my results the more people approach me so after a while uh maybe I think two years ago I, I quit all my journalism work because I had so much demand for the coaching um and even now I'm, I'm having to hopefully politely uh turn people away or, or at least sort of put put them on pause for now um because the demand seems, seems huge at the moment I feel very lucky um and yeah it's it's incredibly rewarding work I feel very lucky to call it my job you know and it, it you really get to know people and and there's a lot of learning as you go, I suppose, things like psychology. And I don't know, you find out a lot about people's lives, whether you whether you want to or not sometimes. But it's it's fascinating getting to know people and incredibly rewarding, of course, when, you know, they take you on because they want to run 100 miles or something and, and they never have before and they do. Um, obviously, the downside is some athletes, you know, they don't have the race they hoped uh, or they get injured, which is which is really, um, yeah, it leads to soul searching on my part because it was like, you know, was that my fault? Did I push them too hard? Did I not listen when they hinted at that in a comment the other week um so that's the downside of the work i suppose is that you know um the other the other side of the coin but um no i absolutely love it and i feel very grateful that i can sort of yeah call it my job do, are you coached now or do you feel like you've got the knowledge that you need to, to do your own training yeah i am coached actually so i did i had coaches as i was progressing and then i had two years being self-coached and one of those years was my best ever year um or at least at utmb but what I found was, yeah, I probably just needed someone to rein me in a bit. Uh, and I was getting in the trap of just thinking more volume is better or, you know, all the time. So I was, I was just running and running. I didn't get injured, but I was plateauing, if not regressing, um, doing too much, I suppose. Um, and actually, I just thought it'd be smart to get some, you know, someone's input. So I guess I looked at I looked at who were the I suppose who were the athletes doing the best at races and who was their coach. And, and to me, it's yeah, it was David Roach, the American and I, he's been coaching me for at least two years, two yeah, over two years now, I think. Um, and he's yeah, fantastic, very knowledgeable, um, very knowledgeable, full of, full of enthusiasm, as, as anyone who's heard of him will know. But also, yeah, he's also a former climate change lawyer, and uh, as well. So I, I like that about him that he can bring bring some insight in there. Um, but yeah, he, he's a fascinating chap, and and lo- you know, genuinely lovely guy, and yeah, very very knowledgeable as well. Um, so I feel like it's difficult because I'm at a stage of my career where, yeah, like I say, 
46, that there probably are going to be some declines at, at, um, at some point, if not already. But I feel like he's he's slowing. If that's happening, he's slowing them or at least bringing in some fresh ideas that seem to work. Is there an area that you think you particularly need to work on, whether that's your nutrition or taking more rest days or sleeping better? Is there somewhere where you feel like, actually, I've, I've got this area that I can tap into to make sure I continue to see improvements? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I have increasingly become interested, I suppose, in in the older athlete or the mature athlete. Um, um, one of the obvious things is that, you know, we do probably from over 40 or even over 35, we're encouraged to do more resistance training, strength work, um, which I was doing anyway. Um, and I have to be more careful, you know, taking on more protein. Um, I guess when David took me on, yeah, I didn't I didn't have a rest day then. <laughs> I would just run every day. Um, he, he's adamant that we need a rest day, and, I, and I've decided, yeah, all my clients will have one rest day as well. Um, it just, yeah, it just the, the case for it is much stronger, I think, than against it. And, yeah, he probably brought in more quality when I was going for quantity rather than quality. So, yeah, those are probably the... Those are probably the key things. That all sounds very sensible. It's often easier said than done, isn't it? So in terms of your running, you're obviously very passionate about um, climate change and also how kind of running interplays with that as well. So as far as I'm aware, you're a carbon negative runner, aren't you? And I was just wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that and when that started and how you managed to achieve that. Yes, that's something I'm rethinking a little bit. So yeah, I guess I became um, radicalised in, in, in sort of late 2019 by Extinction Rebellion, I, you know, like a lot of people, I saw their protests um, in London. And, and uh, if I'm honest, my sister, my sister who lives in Bristol was was um, or lived in Bristol um, was involved. And I, I, I guess I was thinking, is it that urgent? Like, really? And then I looked into it and was like, oh, my goodness, it really is. And we're obviously speaking the day after the hottest ever day in the UK. And normally those increases are really small, uh, you know, point something of a degree. And we yeah, we've shot up. To, to over 40 degrees um so yeah a truly alarming day yesterday and yeah i realized it was incredibly urgent that the, the government and a lot of the media you know have their own interests and they're not necessarily telling the truth and that was extinction rebellion's first first demand to tell the truth um about climate change and if you follow the right people on twitter or get various books i've got a massive stack here i, I won't bother swinging the camera around but you can you can see what the truth is and and how how incredibly urgent it is um scientists say you know we're, we're meant to reduce emissions we need to reduce emissions by 45 percent global emissions this decade you know and we're already two years in and they're still going up uh, you know it's, it's horrifying you know and and my kids are gonna say to me in a few decades oh you guys had the chance to sort of stop this didn't you or at least you know at least sort of plateau it or at least and uh, did you did you do anything you know and yeah the people in power aren't doing anything so i feel yeah really upset and galvanized by that um so but then i didn't know what to do i suppose like a lot of people you kind of feel affected by it and you're not sure what to do um at first yeah joined in with some extinction rebellion protests um failed to get arrested um but a policeman did tell me to get off a wall so i don't know if that sort of half counts i don't know but yeah that was a bit a bit miserable protesting but no generally it was wonderfully sort of optimistic and um infectious and inclusive experience but then i suppose yeah i started looking at my own footprint as well because as i voiced my views on social media of course people like to point point things out don't they um point out inconsistencies um so i did start to think oh okay well how could i improve i don't i didn't even know you know of course we generally know maybe flying isn't great and stuff but this is a, a few years ago i wasn't didn't really know and at the time i was flying around the world or at least europe you know i'd, I'd, I'd do at least three international races a year and i was lucky i teamed up with 
a company called Our Carbon who were just starting up and they sort of analysed my family's footprint, actually. Um, and it was clear that, yeah, these flights were the, a massive chunk of it. Um, I think it was a third overall. The figures are actually on the Our Carbon website still. I think all of my family's emissions, like a third of them were my flights. So you could really see that my travel was, you know, such a huge element of that so it's quite easy for me to think well actually i'm not no i'm not i'm not going to carry on doing that i don't want to and yeah turned turned full annoying vegan and uh, i suppose just got quite obsessed with it and started reading up everything about it and i've actually got a book got a book coming out in october called we can't run away from this which is you know all about running i suppose and climate change and sustainability um but i should credit as well dan and charlotte from rerun clothing who they were the ones who really first sounded the alarm in in the running world i think I couldn't, like a lot of people, I think, you, you know, you see pictures of polar bears struggling and you kind of think, well, that's that's really sad and terrible. But, but how does that relate to my life? Like you sort of can't see the connection, maybe. But they were really they really spread awareness about, I, I suppose, our kit and our shoes. And when you look into the production of that stuff, I mean, obviously, the waste, the afterlife waste is pretty bad, but the production is even worse. Yeah, my book is full of terrifying facts about all, all of that. But um, yeah, our kit, I guess that woke me up a bit in terms of the running side of things. Um, so yeah, carbon negative, sorry to answer your question. Yeah. So for a couple of years with our carbon, I did, I did offset all our family's emissions. I suppose over time offsetting has become more of a, more of a controversial, a less appreciated idea, I suppose. So I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not totally sure whether I carry on or not. I, I can't help thinking it's still like we've reduced what we think we can, you know, and, and for the, those who are interested, I mean, the number one easy thing usually that most people do at their homes is to switch to a renewable energy supplier. Um, your house, your home's energy will normally be 25% of your footprint, although things are a bit complicated at the moment in the current sort of energy crisis. You might just want to hold on for a bit. Um, but yeah, that's a really easy one. And then, yeah, I've, I've given up meat and dairy and my family have cut down. Um, the two other things usually will be the travel and then it's just stuff, like the stuff you buy. Um, and obviously as runners, well, people are different, but, you know, I had a lot of shoes and quite a lot of kit and I realised I wasn't using all of that and didn't need it. Um, but the worst thing you can do is actually sort of throw it away then. But I, so I've sort of given a lot away to friends. The, the, the key thing is that it's being used and used for as long as possible so that all those emissions created in, uh, emitted in their creation um, count for something. Where was I going with all of that? I can't remember. But, um, <laughs> but I do think, I just want to, can I, yeah, just, just to round up that, sorry. There is a danger, I think, of us all becoming too obsessed with our own footprints. And the people who invented the idea of a personal footprint is, is BP. And, and they are... BP and Shell and the fossil fuel companies are, are, you know, if there are some baddies in all of this, it's them. So they've put the onus on us as individuals to, you know, do our recycling and to, tra- you know, travel less. And, and, and that's not fair. And they could have far more impact. You know, we've got to get off fossil fuels as much as possible, as quickly as possible. That's what lots of scientists are saying, including IPCC scientists. So I just, I, yeah, I just, I hate I've grown to hate the idea that we should all be obsessed with our own footprints. I think there's some low-hanging fruit, which is travel, energy, your kit and your, your food. Um, if you can make improvements, great. But I would say if you've got five minutes spare a week, email your MP, get involved in protests, bother some of these brands and say, what are you doing about sustainability? Be be an activist, be political if you can. Sorry, you got me, you got me off on one there. It, it's great that you're so passionate about a topic that is so important. And I think a lot of people whether they're runners or not probably don't look at running and think oh that's somewhere where you could improve your carbon footprint we don't necessarily think about the kit and the shoes and the the travel to races um and you know driving to scenic areas to go on a run obviously we need to enjoy life but there are actually a few things where we can cut down and 
I was just wondering if maybe you could, you've obviously touched on quite a few of those areas, but I just wonder if you could expand on that and just talk about the green runners and, and the four pillars which make up the, the green runners kind of philosophy. Absolutely. Yes. So I was in a, I was in a WhatsApp group with maybe, maybe even up to 50 people actually who all sort of cared about this stuff, but we weren't really sure what to do. And we tried to do like a bit of a protest or a bit of a run at COP26. And if I'm honest, I was a bit of a reluctant organiser. Um, so something did happen, but it wasn't, uh, it didn't, didn't make CNN, let's just say. But out of that, uh, a great guy called AJ Anspell, uh, had this idea to, yeah, create a club. And it sounds so simple now. And, and we all went, oh yeah, brilliant. So yeah, we formed just around Christmas time, we formed the Green Runners. And really the idea is quite simple. You know, anyone could join. Uh, you just need to show, make a pledge on one of our four pillars that you'll try to improve. And yeah, it's really important that, People aren't put off by the idea of perfection because none of us are perfect. And I know, yeah, I haven't, I've gone full annoying vegan and I, have, I haven't flown for three years, but I, I'm not saying I'll never fly again. And I do do some car journeys associated with running. I'm not perfect. Um, but our four pillars are sort of what I mentioned, how you move, how you kit up, how you fuel, and fourthly, how you speak up. So to me, actually, that last one is the most important one is is keeping the conversation going and grab a quick book from my pile. Um yeah, the Canadian Canadian scientist, one of my favourite, uh, Catherine Hayhoe, she says the number one thing we can do is is to be talking about it, um, which might sound a bit trivial, but like it keeps it on the agenda. You never know who's listening. Um, and we've just got to, yeah, it's just all so urgent now. So to me, the, the speaking up about it is is the most important thing. And you, you don't have to wait to be perfect because absolutely no one can be perfect because almost everything we do creates emissions, you know, our food, our clothes, almost any type of travel. Um, except running uh, in theory anyway well not only oh not only running well there's a I should mention this book as well how bad are bananas is is probably the the first one to go to for anyone anyone and bananas aren't that bad actually Um, but it's the first one to go to for anyone who's interested in personal footprints but um, yeah there's a (laughs) we're getting it a bit deep here but maybe like um, there's a funny thing where a bicycle obviously is pretty good you know there's some emissions created in 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 creating the bike but when you cycle that should be carbon carbon neutral but if you're actually fueled on a beef burger to do the journey then then actually it's um it's, it can be as bad as a car journey uh because beef is so bad <laughs> i just quite like that fact i thought it's quite funny uh, but but also not funny i've forgotten what the question was but yes so those are our four pillars we invite anyone to join it's a couple of quid partly because you get sort of a badge sent to you by the guys at rerun clothing uh and i guess we're just trying to get as many people on board as possible try and galvanize runners and try and make a difference with some campaigning and and things like that so um um yes everyone welcome anyone who you know you only have to make a small pledge about a little bit of progress and i think it's just the greenrunners.com perfect and for anyone that hasn't actually heard of rerun clothing would you mind just explaining what rerun clothing is yes so uh dan lawson is a record-breaking ultra runner who i've admired for a long time and him and his wife charlotte they were concerned about well yeah they got a fascinating backstory they lived in india quite a lot and, and in india they don't have public bins so when you, you can't throw something away, it doesn't just disappear like it does here. And also, and then Charlotte worked in a charity shop as well and saw saw some of the things that went on there, um, which there are some aspects of that in, in my book. But they're also troubled by the amount of kit Dan was being given, even though he didn't necessarily want it all as a sponsored athlete. So they, they were going to start up a website where they could sort of pass on some of this kit. What happened is they were bombarded by race T-shirts, free, you know, the free race T-shirts we get at nearly every race we do. And there's probably a lot of people listening to this well at least when I listened to them talking about it I was like oh yeah I've got a drawer with 15 race t-shirts in that I hardly ever wear I mean some were being used but most of them are pretty ugly 
don't usually fit very well, you know, not great material. And, you know, it's just such a waste. There's waste in the creation that, that does that does create emissions. And then if, if they're just being thrown away, then, you know, they're going to landfill or incineration and both of those options create more emissions. So they're just a huge waste of resources. And so they end up with loads and loads of T-shirts and loads and loads of trainers, basically. And they were, they do sell on a lot of secondhand stuff very cheaply. So it's well worth going to their website, which I'm pretty sure is just, you know, rerunclothing.com or similar. It's easy to find. But actually, they've had to stop taking donations of kit. They were, they're passing them on to refugees and, and sort of homeless charities. But they've just got so much kit that no one wants. And they, they, they can't take on anymore. So running has a real T-shirt problem, a real sort of kit problem. Um, and I, yeah, I'd given that no thought till a couple of years ago. And yeah, they've, but more than that, I think they've helped spread awareness and helped spread the alarm um, that, you know, that that's one of the, yeah, one of the more obvious, more visual ways in which running could, could dramatically improve and does a lot of harm. And I think there's a program, Choose Trees, Not Tees, isn't, isn't there? So where you sign up to a race, hopefully some races give you the option to deny, um, to say that you don't want the t-shirt and you'd rather them plant a tree. And I think some companies, I believe Ultra X is doing it where you can say that you don't want the medal for a similar reason. I'm actually an ambassador for Trees Not tree, trees not Tees, and you've done a better job than I have just then uh, bringing them up. Um, so, yeah, it, my friend actually formed Trees Not Tees, Jim Mann. I think he was inspired by Dan and Charlotte, um, and he already had some land, and he's an ecologist, and he was already planting trees. And he, and he just, I think he just had this light bulb moment of, actually, what about if you just os- offer a runner, do you want to plant a tree instead? So they do cost about the same, actually, um, two, two or three quid, uh, I think, or at least at the beginning. Hundreds of races in the UK and now in America are signing up for Trees Not Tees and, and it's totally free for the race. And the idea is, yeah, the runner it, it can just tick a box and say, actually, I'd rather plant a tree or even do both. You know, for all runners, that first marathon or something, first half marathon, you know, I, I think it's nice to have a T-shirt for some of these things, isn't it? But, you know, as long as it's getting worn uh, and for a while there, I was just getting handed a T-shirt, you know, at every single race I did kind of thing. And, and yeah, I've got, I've got better at remembering now to say no thanks and maybe to the medal. And even if that's a bit of short term waste, hopefully the, the race gets the idea. But better still, you know, when you register for a race, if that's not offered as an option, better still sort of just send a polite email saying, yeah, I don't, actually, I don't want a T-shirt. Thank you. I mean, some races are getting the idea or maybe they're producing a really good quality T-shirt that you actually want. And maybe you pay a bit extra for that. And I think that that sounds fine to me rather than just this free churn of free waste. It just ends up being waste. That's terrible. But yes, thank you for being a better ambassador than me for Trees Not Tees. And just just remind everyone again about your new book that's coming out, the title and when they can expect that so they can learn more about this topic. Thank you. Yeah, if I haven't totally bored, bored you all and put you off, it, there's a book called We We Can't Run Away From This, uh, which I think I did steal, a phrase I did steal from Dan Lawson. Uh, thanks, Dan. It's out in October, but it's just gone live for pre-orders, I think, yesterday or the day before. Uh, the best place to get it from is um, Vertebrate Publishing. I think there's a link in my Instagram uh biography thing bio i was going to give yeah 10 percent of my profits to greenpeace and at the moment i think there's a deal with trees not teas that i think one well, i think it's one pound of every book goes to them or something like that if anyone's interested in in more of that sort of thing it's in the book but yeah it is quite depressing and stuff but i have put in some like random climate change jokes it was mostly for my own sort of sanity as i poured through it all but uh yeah i don't know whether to warn people more about the depressing nature or 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 how terrible the jokes are really <laughs> Well, great. Thank you. Thanks so much for all the information and for talking to me me today. Is there any final comments you want to give kind of 
runners that are interested in ultra running, whether it's about the environment or just running in general to get people out on the trails a bit more? Oh, cripes. <laughs> I want a big, a big statement to end our conversation. <laughs> well, I guess all I could say from my point of view is, yeah, running has been, yeah, a life, life changing journey. Uh, and I feel so grateful that, you know, it's just such a simple thing, isn't it? And I feel so grateful that I, you know, discovered, which sounds weird, you know, the joy of running. Um, but then I suppose more recently I've realised running's not as, in, I suppose not as innocent as I thought. Um, but it's still a fantastic thing overall. Yeah, running is brill, I suppose. Yeah, we shouldn't forget that. Thanks so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. A huge thanks to Damien for joining me on this episode. You can follow Damien on Instagram by searching ultra underscore demo and you'll find information there about pre-ordering his new book, We Can't Run Away From This. If you're interested in joining the Green Runners community, then you can also find more information by visiting thegreenrunners.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it and give it a rating and do get in touch if there's topics or guests that you'd like to see on a future episode. If you'd like to hear more from me, then you can head to marathonmedic.com where you'll find podcast episodes, blog posts and coaching information. You can also find me on Instagram by searching Marathon Medic. Thanks so much for listening. 